Hi guys, and welcome to the Thinking Violets podcast with me, Mariam. And me, Ariadna. And in today's episode, we're going to do a bit of a time capsule of the 2010s and make some predictions for the 2020s. So join us. <laughs> On our journey through time and space. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take ourselves back to 2010, the turn of the decade. And where were you? What's one of your memories of 2010? That summer was really memorable for me. I went to Russia. Yeah. It was extraordinarily hot to the point where temperatures were sort of 40 degrees. In Russia? High. Yeah. I mean, the summers are quite nice in Russia. Oh, no. I mean, don't make this. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all snowy bears and vodka. It's not all cold. Uh, um, yeah. But unusual. Very unusual because yeah. there were forest fires. Over the last 10 years, have you sort of experienced a regular climate in Britain? What is a regular climate in Britain? <laughs> Especially okay, I guess <laughs> spring and autumn. Um, <laughs> there been... are only two seasons in Britain. It's true. No, you know, I remember that time when it was snowing in like April. <laughs> yes, that's when I moved house. Was it? Yeah, I was moving house on the day that it snowed in April. That was fun. Yeah, you could, you couldn't make that up. Yeah. It was very strange, and there were a lot of firsts and when records began when that was reported, and the same when we had a really um, hot summer I think, last year. And also, do you remember, like in twenty ten, there was also the big oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. So I remember that quite vividly. And yeah how much that was a blame game. That was a, an awakening in mm. the 2010s that I think will continue in the 2020s, this, what some people call eco-anxiety. Yeah. In terms of changes to people's behaviour. What have we seen? Yeah. What have we seen governments or people do? Charging for plastic bags. The 5p plastic bag tax. Yes. <laughs> okay, I was working in a shop. Yeah. Part-time working. Speak on it. So I saw people buying things when bags were free. Yeah. And I saw people buying things when bags were 5p. Yeah. So what you had was you had people coming in with a, a hundred pounds worth of stuff mm. of really nice brand new clothes. Yeah. And once the bag tax came in, if you ask them for a bag, they'd say, no, thank you. Are they going to carry they it under their arms? Yeah. They didn't want to spend 5p yeah. on a plastic bag because it was an extra charge and they would crinkle up the silk blouses and the sort of chiffon and everything and they would like crunch it up and like shove it in like this like backpack with all their like dirty trainers oh my instead gosh. of paying 5p for a plastic bag and that's when I realised if you want to change people's behaviour mm. you need to put in a monetary incentive or really a cost Yeah, people are more afraid of a cost Yeah, even if it's 5p and these are, you know, well, relatively well of people because they could afford a hundred pounds worth of clothes. But five people have you screaming and scrunching up your new yeah. clothes because... And it got to the point where people would be like, is the bag free? And you'd say no. And they'd say, okay, then I don't want it. Wow. So do you have a drawer full of plastic bags ready to take when you're going shopping, apart from today, <laughs> when we went to a large supermarket? Or are you do a Do I want to tell bagger? people what you did at this large supermarket? Oh yes, okay, let me say, let me keep my mouth <laughs> shut. <laughs> Mariam stole a plastic bag. I refused to pay 10p. I was that person. 
Oh no. Oh. She'll say you stole it by accident. Stop <clears> saying <throat> steal. I I will return it. <laughs> you back for life. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah. So, uh, Marion borrowed a bag for life from Tesco... <laughs> from a supermarket <laughs> today. Um, but yeah, no, to go back to your question, I do have a bag. I mean, I'm Russian, so Russians tend to have bag of bags. Okay. So, <laughs> just... is. <laughs> Since, like, forever, I've always yeah. had bag of bags. Yeah. You will eventually need it, right? Yeah, I can testify to that. <laughs> what about your, for example, recycling habits? Like, have you, do you think that's changed? I never recycled anything in 2010. Never. Maybe newspapers. Newspapers were a thing that you recycled yeah. in 2010s and paper. Apart from that, nothing. Mm-hmm. But that was also because of what the councils provided. That's true. That's true. Now I recycle pretty much everything I can. But then I'm not really conscious about it. I just chuck it into the recycling bag because the council accepts everything. Oh, that's good. But I reckon half of it is not really it's not recycled. Recy- yeah. I would echo some of the things that you've said regarding recycling. Mm, a big one for me is probably fashion and clothing. I think mm-hmm. 20-year-old me wanted, you know, cheap and cheerful. I do like cheap and cheerful. I like a bargain. Um, so, you know, some of your favourite high street stores are places that I would frequent. And probably still frequent, but I think <laughs> a little less now. Um, so I think, um, obviously people have heard about throwaway fashion and fast fashion. So it's trying to be more considered in what I buy. Long story short, less of the fast fashion, less of the throwaway fashion and more considered choices and quality pieces as I enter my thirties. So that's my next question. Where do you think this will go in the 2020s? I hope, I think there will be some sort of global resolution. Mm-hmm. through some sort of, you know, medium, like the UN or something like that. I mean, they tried recently, it didn't work out so well. So they've got another 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I do think that there is a consciousness of it and more young people are aware as well, I think. Before, it was I saw it as a middle-aged old people, or old people kind of chaining themselves to yeah. buildings and trees and scaling oil rigs I don't know stuff like that but now yeah. young people um, are the ones you see leading the, the fights the revolution and that's commendable okay so eco-activism is going to grow and have a bigger effect yep let's hope so and maybe translate into some votes for politicians who make credible promises on the environment yes yes it's definitely being mainstreamed that's okay. my that's my prediction. So are we optimistic for the environment? Without five plastic bags. Now <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna take a lot more than plastic bags. Um yeah. bless David Attenborough. It's gonna take a lot more than plastic bags. Yeah. And paper straws. Yeah. And latte cups. <laughs> yeah. But I think that there's hope. Definitely. Do you think that You don't sound so yeah. convinced? <laughs> Well, no, you said things about plastic bags and paper straws and switching off the lights. And you're right, it does sound kind of pathetic. Do you think they're just like, we're being fooled by these big corporations? Oh, I'm trying to be... taking minor actions and feeling good about ourselves that we're doing our bit for the environment when actually all of them are still getting away with it and continue to deplete natural resources, continue to search for new oil reserves in the Arctic. A lot of people are worried about the Arctic in the 2020s and beyond. Melting away. 
melting away and drilling. also sort of drilling and becoming a new uh, location for geopolitical conflict. Blimey. I was trying to be positive. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, no, but I think, I mean, that being said, a lot of it will go back on, I don't know, 50 of the world's top corporations and its governments who will lead, who will have to come to some sort of agreement and not act so much in their self-interest. So, yeah, I mean... What, Challenging. Surely, surely then, if we were doing our bit, it's not about plastic bags and it's not about, like you said, paper straws and other things... But it's about maybe not buying petrol cars, even though they're cheaper. So you're saying that we have not to change our lifestyles fundamentally? You, we have to change our lifestyles in a way that punishes these corporations so that they follow where the money is. And that means we have to move where the money goes by completely transforming our shopping habits as a minimum. Do you think everyone can afford to do that? But do you think everybody can afford to die in a... Climate change apocalypse? Blimey. Well, no, no, I don't want to die. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to. But those are the questions you'll be facing. Mm. It's okay if you look at people like Extension Rebellion. I don't know what their background is, but I guarantee they don't come from my estate. Yeah. To take a week off to occupy Trafalgar Square, even though the aims and are like, I, I applaud a criminal it. record. Yeah. I've been arrested 75 times. That will not wash. (laughs) (laughs) That will not wash in um, East Manchester. I tell you that for free. (laughs) Um, But you're right. It it has to be a collective effort. Like we are, what about flying, for example? Well, apparently, according to the government, 10% of the most frequent flyers took more than half of the flights abroad in 2018. In England, in the UK. In the UK, in the UK. Um, and you can only imagine what that potential will be when you expand on a global scale. Like, as much as we can travel, not everybody's traveling in the way we think that they are. So that's what I mean about individual impact. We think that when we're traveling for a once a year holiday to Spain, which, yes, it does have a huge environmental impact, but we think that our impact is the same as that of all other flight passengers. Mm-hmm. And yet, really, these 10%. Let's face it, they're probably businessmen. Yeah. I doubt your average family is taking five, six, seven flights a year. So, in our time capsule goes eco-anxiety. Yep. And we think that in the 2020s... Well, I thought initially that there was some hope (laughs) and that people have got environmental issues more on their mind. It's a mainstream issue. But Ariadna rightly pointed out that actually... We're doomed. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it is big corporations, large governments, large countries, and a very few select people who are contributing the most to our problems <laughs> in yeah. terms of the environment. And, and yet the effects will be felt across the world. And that's an interesting... And probably um, the poorest members. Poorest countries, poorest people in the poorest countries. Yeah. I mean, nothing good on that, is there? No. Okay, so uh, in that case, what's your <laughs> resolution for 2020? You believe in individual impact. Yeah. What's your resolution? Give me your resolution and I'm going to hold you to it. Okay, you will never catch me buying anything from a fast fashion brand. I will take less flights. Fewer flights. 
That's correct. English. Fewer flights. <laughs> You're such a... I will take fewer flights. And I think I will be more engaged in the environmental or the climate change debate with people that we've elected. I did one this, this year. I'm proud of it. Go on. I didn't buy any Christmas jumpers. And Christmas jumpers apparently are made from um, largely plastic things like acrylic. Really? I think that's plastic, yeah. And so basically, because they're treated as throwaway items by a lot of people, yeah. Um, Christmas jumpers are actually some of the worst garments you could buy for the planet. I didn't buy any. Came very close. There was an eight pound jumper with a polar bear and glasses and reindeer antlers. Antlers. You're ready. An Aldi for eight pounds. It's not bad that. See, this is the problem. <laughs> but then I looked at what it was made of. It was made out of plastic things, so I didn't buy it. Well done. Thank you. Did you tell anybody about this? <laughs> Only everybody I meet. <laughs> <laughs> so, the 2010s. How about you then? So, I was in steaming hot forest fire <laughs> Russia. What do you remember about 2010? First year of uni. So you in your second year, right? Oh, yeah. I came to visit you. Oh, yeah. I remember. That's the first time I've ever been to Oxford and I was like, Blimey, it's true what they say. It's like Harry Potter. Yeah, so 2010, um, first year of uni. And I remember joining so many societies. I remember the election was a big deal. We all knew that pretty much Gordon Brown and Labour Party were done. And everybody was kind of hyped up for Nick Clegg. Mm. So yeah, that was very big. There were so many debates at the union and everyone was like, yeah. Sheffield. Sheffield Uni, which is Nick Clegg's seat. Yeah. So it was... It's the epicentre of Clegg mania. Yeah. Wow. We all agreed with Nick. We thought, wow, what a rock star, you wow. know. He's going to cut our fees. And, um, but we did go down to London yeah. on coaches and we did protest. Oh, right. Yeah. And as soon as there was trouble, I was like, nope. I don't know what time it is. I know my colour. I know my hue. I'm oh no. getting on a bus back to Sheffield. Yeah. No. All right. But yeah. I remember the election, the 2010 election, this is what you're talking about. Mm. So when the Conservatives came back to power with the Lib Dems in coalition with Lib Dems. Yeah. I remember being in Oxford, surrounded by very conservative young people. Yes. I mean, there are many other people in Oxford, but I was at that time, for some reason, surrounded by conservative supporters. And, you know, I was trying to be friendly and live together in harmony. And so we went mm. to the pub and we toasted to the new government with Prosecco. Okay, you know, that is so... you, you couldn't get any more stereotypical. Okay. Um, and I definitely was not a conservative supporter at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, oh yeah, that's fine. Maybe this will be an, a fresh start for a fresh decade. Mm-hmm. No. No. <laughs> that's so interesting, because if you talk about then, they were on a high first time in government in like 100 years. Like I remember doing politics A-level and... They're like, the last time there was a coalition government and the you know, liberals were in power was 1906 or something like that. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Exactly. It was like... It never the, happened. The Westminster model is a two-party system <laughs> where it's predictable yeah. that it's only one of the two will win and there's no point for voting for anybody else. Nobody ever yeah. does. And the biggest question was, is the UK becoming too presidential? Nope. <laughs> Not in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 
all those hist- all those politics books and questions got ripped up i think after the 2010 yeah. election and if you contrast that with now yeah i mean but what happened so the tuition mm-hmm. fees were um increased the, tripled yeah we <laughs> tripled. had that referendum on the electoral system Oh yeah, I campaigned on that. Well, that's what that was what they swapped the tuition fee promise for, wasn't it? The Lib Dems showed their true colours because they were more interested in reforming the electoral system to benefit their party in the future, yeah. rather than keeping the promises in the short short term that yeah. they made to their key constituency or key group of voters, which were the students. Yeah. Um, so that didn't work out well for them. Oops. No, no, no. Together, the coalition embarked on the austerity policies, which means cuts to public spending yep. um, in order to balance the budget better, to make savings, to pay off the debt. Fix the roof while the sun is shining. And so, I mean, all that a stuff. good reason for it, but maybe not the best method to achieve that goal. I don't think so. And it definitely made a lot of people worse off. But again, it depends on who your audience is. You have things like the United Nations experts saying that actually austerity policies are on the verge of violating human rights in Britain, which is shocking for such an advanced liberal democracy. Yep. You had all the places like Oxfam talking about the negative impact of austerity Mm -hmm. across whole segments of the population. Especially disabled people and... You had things like the bedroom tax, which saw loads of people moving from their council houses where they've lived for many years because they had too many rooms. I remember dealing with some of those cases in my early 20s. um, Very heartbreaking cases. Um, Because you worked for an MP in a constituency. Yep. And a lot of people were disabled or they had the room because an adult or a child needed the room for equipment or various things or an elderly couple they couldn't share rooms uh, for health reasons yeah there were definitely a lot of people who were affected and it came down to like councils being very nice and us being like please please (laughs) don't kick them out (laughs) wow yeah so it was a lot of that as opposed to wow the policy is still in force yeah yeah there was scottish referendum in 2014 which almost lost because nobody bothered campaigning. No. Foreshadowing. No. <laughs> <laughs> Something else. Because you'd have, yeah. And at some point you'd see like the Scottish flag, the soul tire, I think that's what it's called, lifted everywhere. Like, Scotland, we love you. Don't leave. And, yeah. you know. Oh, do you remember the big society? Oh, yeah. What happened to that? What was the big, the big society was supposed to be everything done by volunteers. So basically, what government should be, <laughs> what the state should be having as a safety net? It's like, oh yeah. Yeah, we'll just close all the libraries and then the volunteers can People run can, them. Yeah, I feel like that's what food banks are. Oh no. There's a like a Victorian benefactor type stuff. Like there is somebody providing food banks for the poor. This is one of the reasons why I don't really like charities half the time, because I feel like a lot of charities are doing the work of the government. You need a strong civil society. Is the equivalent of a restaurant not paying a higher wage to its waiters because it knows that the waiters will make more money from tips. Ah, the US system. So I feel like charities fulfil the same function as waiters in restaurants mm. because the government then doesn't need to invest as much money in some, some key services because it assumes that some of those problems will be covered by charities. Yeah, somebody will pick up the gaps where the law or state has failed. So... Mm-hmm. 
10 years of the Tories then goes into our times capsule. Yes. Okay, so writing in February 1997, mm-hmm. somebody who actually has the same name as me called Ariadne, <laughs> Ariadne <laughs> Bin- Bernberg mm-hmm. and Stephen Castle in The Independent mm. wrote a prediction for the cabinet of tomorrow. Who might end up in the cabinet in 2020? 2020? 2020. They okay. said, look at these young politicians. Mm-hmm. Some of them are going to be in the cabinet in 2020. And they yeah. wrote um, some sort of predictions for a lot of um, key figures at the time. Mm-hmm. However, they wrote one for somebody called Boris Johnson. Okay. Who was 33 at the time. So I'm going to read it out to you and see wh- whether they got it right. Mm-hmm. So... Boris Johnson is a precocious associate editor and columnist for the Daily Telegraph. After indulging his taste for politics and intrigue as the president of the Oxford Union, Boris exercised his belief in freedom as a journalist, Eurobashing and penning something to British ordinariness. Not shy in clashing with party lines, Boris would renegotiate EU membership so that Britain stands to Europe as Canada rather than Texas stands to the USA. Mm. Pericles, state builder and negotiator of Athenian autonomy, is his hero. He is another one of our panel who is unlikely to make it to Westminster until 2002. Did they get it right? Oh, not far off, you know. 1997, so basically 20 years ago. Yeah. Talking about Boris Johnson as a potential influential politician in 2020. Mm-hmm. Nearly yeah. spot on, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that cool? I'm not that on the money when it comes to predictions. <laughs> no, should we get in touch with this Ariadne? Yeah. So how about some sneaky quick fire predictions for politics? Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Go I'm going to ask you some questions. I think you should ask me some as well. Okay. Will Trump be re-elected in 2020? Yes. Will Iran develop nuclear weapons? Yes. <laughs> Will Scotland have another referendum? Yes. Will they leave the UK? No. Who will be the next leader of the Labour Party? Angela Rayner. Okay, quick fire questions from me. So mix. Who will win the 2020 US election? Not Donald Trump. Which social media will fade away? Twitter. What is the next fashion trend? I'm going to go there. Go the low-rise jeans. <laughs> no. Britney Spears, 2000. Oh, never. So far, what, what do we have? Let's recap. We've got... Eco-anxiety. Yes. Tory-anxiety. <laughs> so 10 years of Tory... What's the word? Trouble. <laughs> 10 years of the Tories, that was it. And therefore potentially 10 more years. Of the ten Tories. 10 more years. 10 more years. I'm not going to toast this one with a Prosecco anymore. No. Maybe a Guinness. A bitter. A bitter. <laughs> that could end up... <laughs> I was going to make a joke about Ireland, but I won't. Oh. <laughs> um, so next. Let's follow the same pattern. Take yourself back to 2010. Your first year at university. Naive Mariam. Buying fast fashion. Not recycling. What else were you doing in 2010? I was uploading pictures of uni nights out straight away on Facebook. Pictures from a camera, let's face it. Though. From a camera. And also with an SD card. Upload the pictures, <laughs> tag people in them, and be like, hi guys. <laughs> Some pics from, you know, Tricky Tuesday. 
What was Facebook like in 2010 or just before? It was a bit of a dump in terms of a brain dump. Yeah, so first of all, the only people on Facebook were people our age, which means we were teenagers or people in their early 20s. Yeah. And hundreds of friends. Were they your friends? I like to think so. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, Instead of sending private messages, you posted on people's walls. Yeah. They just introduced likes. Nobody posted any political things on there. It was mainly memes, photos, and private jokes shared on public walls. Always checking it. And then, do you have Facebook now? I have it, but I don't use it. Mm. And the only thing that's stopping me from deleting it is I have to upload the pictures I like. (laughs) I deleted my Facebook in 2017, January of... Why? Because I was fed up of seeing other people's opinions on it about politics. Here's ours. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, politics became a trend, like a fashionable trend, but not in a mindful way, in a very mindless, soundbite, repeating what somebody else says way. Mm. And also in a very offensive way, people started to have very angry, well, Facebook arguments. Yeah. I started losing faith in people that I liked in real life. Because I would see them post something dumb about politics. Mm. And I would com- it would completely crush my respect for them. Mm. It wasn't fun. I don't find it as interesting. It's not where I go for content. Twitter is probably where I get most of my news. Yeah. More breaking news, I suppose. But not for informed debate. I think it also made me anxious in terms of if I posted something, I would expect a certain amount of likes. I mean, you could probably say the same for other mediums but i felt it was different because people knew me yeah on there you started um, seeking approval yeah and i was like that's not me <laughs> yeah so i thought the best thing for me to do is to remove myself from it well disengage from it for me also it was like a social experiment because it was genuinely scary to delete my facebook account when i deleted it because mm. i thought how can losing an account with a corporation make me so fearful about how it would affect my life in, in real life. Because I was worried that I would miss out on events, on communication with people mm-hmm. that I know. Fear of missing out, FOMO. Yeah. And that was the reason why I deleted it. And I did not miss out. Because if anything, it confirmed to me who my real friends were. Because they made the effort to stay in touch with me. Yeah. And our communication became more meaningful. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't done through stupid direct messages. But for emails, phone calls, texts... Um, real life <laughs> there's such a thing as real life conversation yeah and actually deleting facebook improved my quality of life so how has social media changed in the last 10 years so i think it's become more personalized it's become a prominent feature of our lives and i think it's allowed people to become entrepreneurs i suppose people have made money off it mm-hmm. but there are also some worrying signs as well in terms of well-being and uh, mental health and yeah, screen time, various things like that. But I do mm. think there's a link somewhere in there. Yeah. I think social media has changed from being social to antisocial. At the beginning, it was about communicating with people and being more connected. Whereas now I think social media is about creating your digital persona, mm-hmm. a version of you that exists online over which you have absolute control, unlike in real life, where we're just human beings who are subject to chaos and unpredictable 
emotions and behaviors online you can control that you can create content ultimate picture of you the ultimate comment from you and that makes you i think more introverted because when you're on social media like instagram most of the time you go on there to create content that is in line with your ideal self what is an instagram face i think a lot of people will know the look when they see it it's been curated to look racially ambiguous features from different backgrounds or maybe like thick lips from like black africans it could also be having um slim nose it's having almond slash cat like eye features there's a certain look how do you think this is going to develop in the 2020s well we all want to be liked we all want to be noticed so that might take a new form for example instagram have decided to get rid of the numbers on their likes yeah apparently yeah so what that does psychologically, I don't know. Does it make you think, oh... I think one can sometimes get carried away with sort of imagining all these big trends that in a kind of linear mm-hmm. um, pattern that things are going to keep increasing and these tech giants are going to become even bigger, that everybody's going to be a clone, everybody's going to have the Instagram face. But actually, you got to remember that people tend to live in generations and generations tend to rebel against their predecessors Mm. so when we were young we were rebelling by becoming techie Mm -hmm. uh, and by going on social media and completely transforming the way we communicate and taking selfies and things like that yeah maybe the next generation maybe the next who knows how long they will start to reject some of that and go back to more real life values because that will be seen as i guess exotic sometimes there's a bit of looking back to try and move forward isn't it yeah so I think so. at one point, the Instagram face will become just as cringy as the kind of Barbie, big boob jobs, peroxide blonde, playboy. Oh gosh, that died a death, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that died a death. Everybody so wanted knows? a boob job what on the way What will be the next big trend? It will be maybe something just as unattainable, mm. but even more unattainable, such as the perfect natural skin. So we've done, in our time capsule, we've done eco-anxiety. Yep. Ten years of the Tories. And ten more. Yep. Uh, Taming tech. Taming tech. Or failing to tame it, really. Failing to tame it. Um, And we did our quick fire round. Okay. How about some more personal things? Yeah. So I've got a surprise for you today. Mm Mm-hmm. My high school leavers book from the famous draws in high school. Yeah. So we left the school in 2006 in year 11. Yep. And you wrote some stuff for me here. So let's see. I asked all my friends to write a prediction or a wish for what they wanted their life to be like 10 years after we graduated from school, which would have been 2016. So this was your teenage self Mm -hmm. making a prediction for the 2010s. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to open this? Because you've never seen this before. Okay. There you go. It's yours. If you want to share it. <laughs> In 10 years' time. In 10 years' time, I see myself being, hopefully, a lawyer, a journalist. If worse comes to worse, Asda will always have me. <laughs> <laughs> have longer hair to my shoulders. Living abroad, or at least out of my parents' house. Bumping into you at Harvey Nichols or Debenhams, maybe. H&M then. <laughs> and we catch up. 
we have to run away because the paparazzi are hounding you. Jeez. That was you. A lawyer or a journalist? So tick these off. Which ones of these have you ticked off? Have you become a lawyer or a journalist? No. As the... I passed as the... They didn't take me. (laughs) (laughs) I need a part-time job. No. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't take me. Oh. And I've enough enough experience. So you got everything wrong. Have you got shoulder-length hair? No. No. Not my chin. My cut it as well. Have you lived abroad? You've moved out of your parents' house? Yes. Moved out of my parents' house. So how do you feel? Have you lived up to your teenage dreams? That was so annoying. What the hell was I writing? (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Okay. I dragged this book out because I was going to ask you about your New Year resolutions. As far as your future self is aware, Mm. you're doing exactly the same for the 2020s. Yeah. So what message (laughs) would you like to put in the time capsule to yourself? So I hope that I will have uh, have my own home. I hope that I will travel more and I'll be definitely invested more in self-care and be more open-minded, I think, to experiences, to ideas. Yeah, definitely be happier. At least yeah. content. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say, because I've been inspired by um, a New Year's Eve card that I found from my uh, dad today. He wrote in 1993. I literally found it today because I was looking for the uh, yearbook thing. And in there it says, I wish you happiness and luck and therefore joy should come by itself if you have those things. Happiness in Russia is a more complex concept. Okay. Joy and happiness are not the same thing necessarily. Yeah. So I would say to my future self that I sort of wish future Ari the same thing. Happiness and luck and I would also add maybe good health. Oh, good health is so important. <laughs> and therefore, joy and enjoyment should come by itself if you have those things. Yeah. Oh, that's very nice. I'm very materialistic, huh? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's why we're balancing it out. Yeah. Money. You've been listening to the Thinking Violets podcast with me, Ariadna. And me, Mariam. So... What goes into your time capsule or your New Year resolutions or your resolutions for the new decade? Do you have any predictions? Do you agree with us? No. (laughs) Do tell us. Do you have any messages for your future self? Yeah, I think it's so good that you recorded and you kept those things. So I definitely encourage other people to do the same. Because it really brought back memories. But also send them to us because clearly I can be trusted with keeping other people's secrets. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, message us on... Um, the thinking violets at outlook.com Yay. our very professional email address or um, send us a message um, or comment on one of our pictures on our Instagram account yep. the thinking violets yeah right okay well so um yeah peace thank you bye <laughs> <laughs>